0: Well, first of all, I get to refer back to last week because it's part of the reading this morning. How well did Simon do? I wasn't here. I was inflicted on the URC church instead. Um, But I I watched it on YouTube later in the week and he did so well. It was such an innovative way of teaching us and what an amazing message. Freedom from fear and rejection. Knowing we are loved. Showing and sharing what we know about God. Relying on Jesus, secure in his love and power. And we get to look at that again because it's at the start of this, of this reading. I think really... That little bit about the disciples coming back and speaking to Jesus obviously should be on the end of the chapter before. Someone once was speaking and they said they, they were certain sometimes that someone was on a coach jugging along, trying to decide where to split up the chapter headings. And they were like, Oh, that'll do that because it doesn't make sense that that isn't part. So while the words of scripture are God breathed. The chapter headings are not necessarily. So Jesus and the disciples were trying to get away for a while, and um, this same incident is in the book of Mark as well. And at there, Jesus is recorded as saying, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So after the excitement of being sent out, of seeing God at work, of being part of what God was doing, of of being used by him to heal and to preach and to share about Jesus, the time had come to come away to a quiet place and get some rest. And we must never lose the importance of reconnecting with God and with each other. It runs through everything we do and say, Simon's just come back in. You just missed all the praise, Simon. I'm surprised your head could get through that door. (laughs) Uh. Uh. So yeah, we must never forget we must, that must run through our lives, reconnecting with God and each other, and how important it is to share our experiences, to be part of a group of Christian brothers and sisters that will support you and work with you through the good times and the bad, who actually get to know you so you can be honest with them. So Jesus and his disciples are moving away. They're in the Capernaum area and they're going to Bethsaida. Now, uh, the Sea of Galilee, I always think it has been a bit like a map of Africa, the way it's kind of wider at the top and then goes round and down. And Capernaum's at the top and Bethsaida's here just across the lake where the river comes in. And so Jesus and his disciples, they're going to go across By boat. They're going to do that little short hop across by boat. Uh, Probably the easiest way to travel if the weather was good. I lived on the Isle of Man for 30 years. I don't think there's ever any quick hops across the sea. But um, for them, it was quite often the easiest way to travel was to just nip across the water. And so the group moved from Capernaum to Bethsaida. I want to just take a minute here to look at numbers. So, um, Sarah at the back. If you wouldn't mind, could you just be number one? And the person next to you is number? Two, three, four. Come forward, a row. 10, 11. Twenty-one, 22, 22. twenty-four. Twenty-four. No, Thirty. Thirty-six. Thirty-seven. <laughs> Yeah? <laughs> 83 88 Eight. Eight. so there's 88 of us in this room just to give you a little oh <laughs> 89 Ninety- oh, 91, 91. Yes. sorry gentlemen I accounted me I counted me I remembered me so, so we got to uh, 91, 91 people in this room. Just to give you a little bit of perspective, 91 people in the room. So as Jesus and the disciples arrive on their boat, the crowd who traveled on foot and over land got to Bethsaida before them. And what a crowd it was. 5,000 men, plus however many women and children. What a crowd. Now they were looking forward to a bit of a quiet time, a bit of a reflection. And what did Jesus do? He welcomed the crowd. He spoke to them of the kingdom and he healed. What an example of sharing and showing. He welcomed the inconvenient. And do we? You know, it's really easy to become impatient or take offense, especially when you're busy or you're tired. How do we welcome the inconvenient? Recently, I uh, was on a session. Well, actually, it was quite a few months ago now. I was on the session with the youth and they were doing the fruits of the spirit and I got patience. It was laughing. (laughs) I got patience. But the big thing that came out of that for me was a saying that was thinking over feeling. Patience is thinking over feeling. And that does just make such a difference. I mean, that thing of sort of stepping back and counting. But if you use that counting time to think, Why am I feeling like this? Why have they said what they've said? Or why have they done what they've done? And why, you know, think it through. Use that time to think it through. It helps you to be more patient. And that has stuck with me for this last month. I've used it a lot with my husband. (laughs) Whether he realizes it or not but it's been a really useful tool. Patience is thinking over feeling. It's taking time before you respond. And Jesus is speaking to the crowd and healing and ministering to them and the day draws on and the disciples wisely (coughs) decide that they'll give him some advice. You know, it's getting very late. You need to send these people away. They need to go somewhere to get food and shelter. We're in a a desert place, a desolate place here. And Jesus' answer was, you feed them. What? In verse 13, there's sort of, Barely restrained sarcasm. Simon brought it out actually when he spoke and he said, Jesus replied, You give them something to eat. And they answered, We have only five loaves of bread and two fish. Unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. We just don't have the resources, Jesus. What's that famous saying? God doesn't necessarily call the equipped, but he equips the called. What's the last thing that Jesus called you to? What's the last thing that Jesus said? You do it. Are you doing it? Why aren't you doing it? Can you trust him? There's a beautiful thing actually on the um, Lectio 365 this morning um, for the Sabbath. And it talks about um, trusting in rest. God calls you to do it. He will provide. He knows what he's doing. And so Jesus blesses the bread and the fish and he probably used the traditional Jewish blessing over food. Isn't it amazing that actually he probably said, barucha at Adonai Elohenu Melugahalam halam hamotzi le'em mitz haravetz but he probably didn't say it with a Scouse accent. (laughs) He would probably have said, blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe who brings forth bread from the earth. They're probably the words he said. And 5,000 men plus women and children were fed and satisfied and there were 12 baskets of leftovers Now, the modern interpretation of this miracle is that Jesus has the ability to provide and he has the power over creation to do it. Oh, and he does. I'd just like to share with you a a little experience, actually, that I'd almost forgotten about until Kenny reminded me. Um, I haven't done any slides this week, but I have a visual An illustration. You see, for many years, um, Kenny did a lunchtime stint at a drop-in center. Um, And Tuesdays, his Tuesday lunchtime, became quite famous, actually. Chicken Tuesday. Because every Tuesday, he cooked three chickens, three for a tenner they were then, So they're a bit scrawny, but anyway, three three chickens and this pan full of spuds, right? This pan full of spuds every Tuesday. And every Tuesday, those three chickens and this pan fed anywhere between 12 and 25 mostly men. Regardless, God provided. Chicken Tuesday became famous. This pan produced the spuds under God's direction for as many that needed to be fed and satisfied. So he still does it today. I'd just like to read the same passage of Scripture, if you'll bear with me, this time from the King James Version. And the reason for this is that there is some beautiful language in this that I think we slightly miss in the modern translation. I won't read the whole lot. I'll start from verse 12. I love this first phrase. And when the day began to wear away... Then came the 12 and said unto him, send the multitude away. Isn't that better understanding than crowd? Send the multitude away that they may go into the towns and country round about and lodge and get victuals for we are here in a desert place. But he said to them, give ye them to eat. Give ye them to eat. That's better. And they said, we have no more but five loaves and two fishes, except we should go and buy meat for all these people. For they were about 5,000 men. And he, Jesus, said to his disciples, make them sit down by 50s in a company. And so, and they did so, and made them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and two fishes, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them and broke and gave the disciples, gave to the disciples to set before the multitude. And they did eat and were all filled. And there was taken up of fragments that remained to them, twelve baskets. For the people of the first century, the people who actually experienced this, they might have viewed this miracle slightly different from us. For them, it could have provoked a comparison with some of the great figures of the Jewish faith. Moses, their great leader through whom God provided food in a desolate place who was a military figure and often organized the wandering tribes into companies and groups. Or Elisha, the prophet of God, who fed a hundred people with 20 barley loaves. At that time, the Jewish people were waiting a promised prophet and a Messiah who would deliver them from the oppression of evil. And of course, to them, that was the Roman occupation. In John 1, we read, He, Jesus, was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. You see, they were sure that God would move in a certain way and kick out the Romans. And when that wasn't happening, they couldn't see what was right in front of their eyes. It was so out of line with their entrenched mindset. And I've been challenged recently by the following quote. Does my search to find God have more to do with using him to get what I value rather than enjoying him for who he really is. Anybody here know their catechism? Anybody have a traditional upbringing? Good Northern Irish, usually. (laughs) Upbringing, usually. Anybody who knows their catechism? No, 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 no. The catechism is simply a way of teaching Christian truths by way of questions and answers. And people used to just learn it off by heart um, through school, through their childhood years, but it was particularly useful with children. And the very first question is, what is the chief end of man? Or maybe more accessibly this day, what is a person's primary purpose? Why do we exist? The traditional response, anybody know the traditional response? Yay, well done. A, man, a man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Or translated, a person's primary purpose is to glorify God and delight in him forever. Calvin explained that the glory of God is when we know what he is. I'd prefer if it said who he is, but it says what he is. The glory of God is when we know what he is. We glorify God by acknowledging who he is quite outside of what he may or may not choose to do for us. And we acknowledge that he has done marvellous things. But we give him glory when we recognise the great I am exists, creates and sustains. So my thoughts on this episode in the life of Christ I'm sure over the years you've heard many sermons about it and there's lots of different things you can pull out of it but I would say can I learn to embrace the inconvenient be it people or circumstances with grace and compassion with patience Can I learn to trust that Jesus knows what he's doing and if he prompts, he'll provide? And can I grow to acknowledge God simply for the beauty of who he is? I'll just quickly repeat those. Can I learn to embrace the inconvenient be it people or circumstances, with grace and compassion, with patience? Can I learn to trust that Jesus knows what he's doing and if he prompts, he will provide? And can I grow to acknowledge God simply for the beauty of who he is? Let's pray. Oh Lord, I confess so many failings in all these areas especially when my life my words my actions reflect my lack of trust in you how much I limit you but you are forgiving and good, O Lord, abounding abounding in love to all who call to you. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. There is none like you. Lord, no deeds can compare with yours. For you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. Amen.